0: Amen. Well, thank you, music team, so much. Thanks, Nathan, for reading scripture and praying for the destines. Uh, One thing that Nathan did mention in his prayer, and I meant to mention earlier as well, uh, we were able to. uh, Willio had asked if it would be possible (coughs) to help their graduates. They have five graduates of the Bible Institute that will be graduating in June. That was the commencement address I was supposed to go and give, but uh, that is now not going to happen. They're still having the graduation. Uh, They had asked uh, they would like to give computers to their graduates. So such a great tool for preparing sermons and study and uh, so forth. So our church, out of our missions fund, we were able to do that uh, for those five graduates, and those are on the way. And so that is one, uh, that's one of those things that we do out of our missions fund, and we were just so glad to be able to meet that need uh, for them. So just want you to know about that. Well, we are in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 today. I did decide to cut this down a little bit. I was gonna take two different stories here because I do think they go together and there's a lot of relationship between these two stories. But I decided as we were working through this, I knew that we were gonna spend a little time on our missions presentation today and also it's Mother's Day, which is probably not the right day to keep you 20 minutes long. So I did decide to cut that down and we're just gonna look at one story today. And it's about Jesus healing the leper cleansing the leper. And so here's the outline that we'll look at this week and then next week. This week, looking at sickness, sin, and the Savior, part one, skin disease, purity laws, and compassion. Now, nothing says Mother's Day sermon quite like studying skin disease and leprosy, huh? Very sensitive to what's going on here. So we'll be looking at that today, and then next week we'll be looking at this man who was healed of his paralysis. If you've ever taken the time to read all the way through the Bible, which I certainly hope that you have, you might find some strange things, particularly in the Old Testament. As a matter of habit, I've been doing this for years, reading through the Bible every year, and it's typically how I start my day, some many days actually listen uh, to the to the Bible um, as I'm getting ready, making a cup of coffee. And you come across this book in the Old Testament called Leviticus. And if you've never taken the time to read all the way through Leviticus, you really should. You might feel like you have jumped into a new planet if you jump down directly into the book of Leviticus. It's an interesting book, and it certainly serves a purpose, and maybe one day down the road we'll take a little bit more time and study this book, because I think it's so important and helpful. Every year as I'm reading through the Bible, and particularly some of these Old Testament passages, I stop at some point and think, I think they added this story this year, because it's very strange. There's some interesting things going on in the Old Testament, It's a good reminder that when we come into the world of the Bible, we're sort of entering foreign territory in many ways, especially when we get into some of the customs of the Old Testament and some of the Old Testament law. I'll tell you that to say that today we're going to meet Jesus as he encounters this man with leprosy. Now, the term leprosy that's used, it would probably better be translated something like skin disease. When we think leprosy, we think of a very particular disease. And this is actually a little bit more general term that could refer, of course, to leprosy as we understand it, but it also could refer to skin disease in a more general sort of way. And we meet Jesus who's encountering this man who is the leper, and there's so many interesting things going on here. In the Bible and in the New Testament, as well as the Old, there was a close connection between the person and their outward, their body, and sin and what was wrong with them. In fact, leprosy in particular was viewed by many in the Hebrew mind as being something that was a curse from God. And they had reason to believe and reason to say things like this. You have a few stories in the Bible. You have a story of Miriam, Moses' sister, she joins in a rebellion challenging Moses' authority and God strikes her with leprosy. In Numbers chapter 12, you have King Uzziah who gets arrogant in his success. he's struck with leprosy and has that until he dies. 2 Kings 5 is a really interesting story. It's the story of when Elisha healed a man with leprosy. The guy tries to pay him for his services. Elisha refuses the money his assistant goes back to the guy that was healed, it's like so about that money, collects it and God strikes him with leprosy. So Naaman's leprosy jumps onto Gehazi, this assistant of Elisha. And so it's no wonder then when you have stories like that and there's others as well, that when you meet somebody who had leprosy in the New Testament, it was really considered a curse of God. They thought these people were cursed. And so, Jesus is interacting, and we need to understand that as context. A little bit more detailed context of this is Leviticus. Leviticus 13 and then 14. I won't take the time to read all of this passage for you, but it would be an interesting study, a good Mother's Day study, to study about skin disease and such. You have 59 verses. 59 verses in Leviticus 3 about how to identify various skin diseases, how to know if they're more than surface level, and when and what you're supposed to do about that. It's really, really interesting. And the priest was responsible to sort of adjudicate this. So if you had a skin disease, you went to see the priest. I've never been more thankful to be a pastor, not a priest, in <laughs> studying this particular passage. I don't really want to see all that. Don't want to deal with that. You know, it's funny. We joke sometimes, those of us who do pastoral ministry, about all the different types of things that you end up doing that you really didn't expect. You know, things, everything from, you know, building projects and, um, you know, identifying pests and bugs. And there's all sorts of things. Budgets and worrying about all sorts of things that you never really thought you would do. A few years ago, we were putting our parking lot in At one point, our architect sent me a document and I'm looking at this document. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so I call our architect. I was like, hey, can you help me understand what's going on here? And he says, yeah, some of that may look kind of like Greek to you, huh? I said, no, actually Greek makes a little bit of sense to me. (laughs) It's like, but I have no idea what this document's all about. So can you help me understand what's going on here? So no matter what vocation, you end up in all sorts of things. I'm sure you've experienced this at your job as well that you really didn't plan for. Well, the priesthood was no different. The priesthood, you had to be a scholar and answer hard, difficult theological questions. You really ended up being a top-notch butcher as you dealt with sacrifices and cooking of the meat. You were a moral example. You were a judge of sorts. And come to find out, you were sort of a de facto dermatologist as well from Leviticus 13. It's such an interesting thing. So Leviticus 13 is all about how to deal with these various skin diseases. And again, it's quite a few verses. And I just wanted to point out this one verse that's right in the middle of this context, just because I think it's relevant. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Just want you to know that. It's uh, Thank you, Brad. And it's really a shame David is not here to enjoy this moment with us. I always tell people the way you tell us apart, I'm the pastor who has hair, not him. It is interesting. I won't read you all the verses about how to identify various skin diseases, but just trust me, it's detailed and you can go look on your own a little bit later. Here's the payoff, though Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip, he has to wear a mask, unclean, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. They had to warn people about their condition. And so it's important, we've noted this before, and we looked at this particularly when we were talking about uh, Mary after she has Jesus There's a difference between being unclean and being sinful, and so this is a category difference in the Old Testament. And so to be unclean, you could become unclean by any number of ways, one of which was sin, another of which was skin disease, body fluids, things like that. And so it wasn't necessarily sinful to be unclean, but you were unclean all the same. And in order to be made right and whole, there was a process that you had to go through. And so our story today, there's a man that's coming up to them and is speaking to Jesus and perhaps on the outskirts of the city because he wasn't allowed in the city. This is why in Luke 17, this is another encounter of Jesus and the leprous person. This is actually the 10 lepers in Luke 17. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers and they stand at a distance according to Leviticus 13 law. They knew this, and they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And of course, Jesus does have mercy on them. It's an amazing story. And so this is the context. We need to understand a little bit more. So Leviticus 13 is helping us identify and understand skin diseases and what to do about it. Chapter 14 is what you do when someone is healed from their skin disease. It's cleared up or there was some sort of healing that has taken place. So the first seven days, there's an examination by the priest, sacrifices have to be made, and then washings, ceremonial washings that had to take place. The seventh day, there's another washing of the body, of the clothes, and then they had to shave off all their hair. All, all. All means all in this context. Everything had to come off on the seventh day. And then on the eighth day, after a week of, after you've proven yourself to be clean for a week, uh, the eighth day, sacrifices were made again. And then there, there, was, there was the application of the blood and the oil of the offering. And the priest would take part of the oil that was offered and part of the blood. They would put it on the earlobe. And there was a ceremonial cleansing that took place. And so this is the context for a person who has leprosy and what has to happen. That's going to become really, really relevant for us as we jump into this passage of scripture now. So let's come now to Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Let's read the story. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for proof to them. This is a reference to Leviticus 13, 14. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, and he to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. What an interesting passage. So we'll just take this sort of line by line and look at this. First of all, we note that the man is full of leprosy. And again, it could be leprosy in the sense of the the disease that we understand today. It could be some sort of other skin disease. We don't know exactly. But this man's coming to him, which is interesting because they were really supposed to keep their distance. Most likely, it was outside the city. So, he came to him and then notice that the man asked to be clean. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? When he saw Jesus He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't ask to be healed or to be made well. He asked to be made clean. And that makes sense to us when we understand a little bit about Leviticus 13 and 14. You can make me clean. Now, what did he know or recognize about Jesus at this point? We're not given a lot of information, but he knew there was something different about Jesus. You can make me clean clean, not just heal him, but make him clean as well. So interesting. So then Jesus touches the man. Now, the significance of this is in the Old Testament, in the context of pure and impure, clean and unclean, one of the ways that you could become unclean is by touching someone who was unclean. Their uncleanness passed on to you, sort of like touching, you know, something really nasty, or some, you know, toddlers always have those little wet hands, and they just love to come and, like, grab you and stuff, and they're passing their uncleanness to you, but instead of that happening, you're passing cleanness to them, and so Jesus is reversing the process. You aren't supposed to touch lepers. Now, just imagine being one that's following Jesus around at this point. And this man comes and bows before him. And I'm sure everybody else took a step back. Jesus takes a step forward and he touches the man. Isn't that amazing what Jesus is doing? And we see him do this again and again and again. He touches them. These people, they weren't allowed to touch anyone. Isn't that sad? I mean, even the most introverted amongst us here today, to not have contact to be outside, to be separated out, to have no human touch at all. And yet Jesus reaches out and he touches him, shocking everyone around. Then he gives a couple of charges here. And these are interesting. He stretched out his hand. This is verse 13. He touched him. Says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Notice it's an immediate it's an immediate healing, just like we saw with Peter's mother-in-law back earlier in the Gospel of Luke. It says that she was healed and she got up and she got to work. Like, immediate healing. This isn't a gradual process. Put a little melaleuca on it, it'll clear up in a week or two. Call me if you still have problems. Might be itchy for a while. None of that. It's gone. Gone, immediate, cleared up. And then Jesus gives these charges Verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Now, this introduces us to something here that's very, very interesting that we'll track a few times throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's what some people have referred to as the messianic secret. So he tells, he heals this man and then says, don't tell anybody. Now, that seems like the opposite of what we wanna do, right? Go tell everyone, And we do notice that the word about Jesus continues to spread and go all over the place. Why the secret? There's a few different theories on why this could be. Maybe it's advancing the timeline of Jesus and his messianic ministry. There's an order of operations, certain amount of boxes that have to be checked off and ticked before Jesus moves into this final week, the Passion Week, that's likely. Some have argued that if Jesus had allowed people to just speak openly and freely, then the crucifixion would have come much earlier or even the people would have wanted to elevate him to a king, to a position that he was not going to take on, at least not in the type of kingdom that they wanted. We don't know exactly, but we do see this happen over and over again. We continue to see the message of Jesus spread all over the place. Notice also that he did say, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. Notice that Jesus does live within the constraints and confines of the law of the day. He asks him, go and show yourself. It's interesting. A few observations that we'll make as we wrap this one up for today. A few observations. I wanna talk about Jesus, his interaction, and a few things here. Number one is Jesus and the law. Jesus and the law. And when I say law, I'm meaning particularly the Mosaic law in this context. So there's been an endless amount of ink spilt over Jesus' relationship with the Old Testament and what did Jesus think of Leviticus and Numbers and all the books of the Old Testament Just in broad brushstrokes, though, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and we see that he lived as a man under the law. We see him encouraging things like even paying taxes to Caesar, which would be a different law. Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus is born under the law. That's why Luke takes great pains to tell us that his parents followed the law as far as circumcision, as far as purification rites when he was born. He was born under the law. But then it says in verse five, Galatians four, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He is putting himself underneath the law and living within that throughout the course of his ministry. We're going to see, of course, he challenges different peoples, especially the Pharisees. He challenges their interpretation of the law, but he does live under the law. We'll have time to take this part a little bit further another day. But the law of God, particularly the Old Testament law, it functioned sort of like an x-ray machine. All right? An x-ray machine only tells you what's wrong. If you fall down this afternoon and you go in and they go to the urgent care and they do an x-ray on your arm and they say, hey, you've got a broken arm, that's going to hurt. And that's it. You're probably not going to want to pay the copay on that one. Like, okay, tell me, what do I do? How do we we help? Does it need further treatment? How do we immobilize it? The law served as an x-ray machine. The commandments of God served as an x-ray, exposing that you need something else. It wasn't the treatment. The law exposed. But it didn't actually fix the problem. This quote is sometimes attributed to John Bunyan. It's likely it was from a different John. Charles Spurgeon quotes him. says this, Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. This is the good news of the gospel. The law is standing there telling you, you're not good enough, you're a sinner. The gospel is the answer for the problem. So Jesus and the law. Next, a few observations on Jesus and people. We'll explore this more as we move throughout the Gospel of Luke and as well. But Jesus' reaction to people is a bit like a thermometer you can sort of read the, the, the lead-in to the stories and you kind of know intuitively how Jesus is going to respond to different individuals. When you see a person that's laying on their face in humility before Christ, he is tender, he is kind, he's uplifting to them. When you see people in the Bible, the Pharisees, as we'll see in the next section, and they're trying to trap Jesus, they're trying to capture him in his own words, Jesus has very strong things to say to them, very strong. In fact, here's a sampling of some of the things Jesus said to different people. In John chapter eight, he tells the people that are arguing with him that you are of your father, the devil. Try that one in conversation at the office. You're of your father, the devil. Matthew 23, it's a scathing rebuke, a whole series of them in Matthew 23. He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead rot that you've painted on the outside to make yourself look good. You're a brood of vipers. You're blind guides. You're fools. Jesus said all of those things. So this is both encouraging and it's sobering, isn't it? It's encouraging to know that Jesus never rejects those who are broken, penitent before him is sobering to know as well that you can't play games with Jesus. You can't play games. He confronts those who are arrogant. So Jesus in the law, Jesus and people, Jesus in prayer. Just a quick note on this. We've already seen a couple of times that Jesus withdraws to pray. And every time I see that, I'm a little bit shocked that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, felt the need to withdraw and pray. And how often we neglect and forget to pray. Jesus in prayer. And then lastly, Jesus and purity. Jesus in purity. As I mentioned earlier, the purity of Christ spreads to this one who is diseased instead of the other way around. And I do think that serves as a picture to what happens. Jesus takes on our sin. He becomes sin on our behalf so that we can take on his righteousness. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. I wanna read this text for you. It has this idea and language that we're speaking about here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and then this, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is sacrificial language. Our hearts sprinkled clean. In the Old Testament, the... After a sacrifice was made, the blood would be collected and they would take hyssop, a little branch, and they would sprinkle it. And there was a ceremonial cleansing and that's the language that's adopted. So Jesus is the one making things pure and right. This is how it works. I don't know how that intersects with everyone in your life here this morning, but there's many people that feel a longing and sense of guilt that they live with every single day because everybody knows there's right and wrong in the world, and everybody knows that they haven't always done what's right. R.C. Sproul, he used to put this question to people when he would get in a conversation with someone about the gospel, sharing Christ with them, and he would say this What do you do with your guilt? And R.C. Sproul said, In all the times I've asked that question, I never had anyone tell me I have no guilt. Interesting, isn't it? What do you do with your guilt? We all know, everybody that you know knows they haven't perfectly lived up to the standard. What do you do? Everybody feels a deep sense of obligation to a standard that we have not kept. We may not be dealing with skin diseases necessarily here this morning, but it's symbolic of what's actually going on in our hearts. What we need is the purifying blood of Christ to clean our conscience and make us ripe and new again. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your gospel. We thank you that you have given us stories like this that, though they are so simple and easy to understand what's going on, Lord, the truth behind them is so profound. Jesus knows, of course, the sacrificial system, he knows about skin diseases, he knows what your word has said about those things. And he interacts with this one who is considered to be under a curse, yet he touches him and makes him clean. Lord, in a similar way here today, you make us clean and right and new. For those who have repented of their sins, they've trusted in Jesus. Lord, we do have a problem with guilt, and we know that you can make us right and whole through the blood of Christ, and we thank you for that. Lord, maybe there's some here this morning and they've never come to this conviction and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the one that makes things, all things right and pure and clean. I pray that you would use your word, use this message to show them their need for you today. We these things in Christ's name, amen.